I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. I think we have settled on that name. Uh, we tried to think of more creative names. I went for a run today, and I, that was all I thought about during my run, and I thought of absolutely nothing. So we're going with Over the Monster podcast. Uh, we think this is episode number six. As you can tell, we are extremely organized here. We don't even know how many episodes we've done. Uh, we just came up with a name with what we think is our sixth episode, but either way... It is what we have been doing for maybe the last six weeks, maybe the last five. We don't really know. But uh, it is myself, Matt Collins. I am back with Jake Devereaux. Jake, how are you? Good, man. I'm, I'm like talking Red Sox on here. Uh, you know, not even a full 24 hours uh, since I last made a podcast. So we're pumping on some content here at Over the Monster, the podcast network. So. Uh, the new name kind of makes sense, I think. We have the other ones been the red seat for a while, and then it wasn't, and now it is again. So I think it just makes sense. You're the managing editor, so you get the flagship name, dude. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, maybe it'll come with a pay bump. Probably not, but we'll talk about that <laughs> off air. Um, yeah, we'll get those guys to do that for you. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, but we are, yeah, so we are recording. This is uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the only reason I say that is because it is obviously a trade season in baseball. Uh, we are less than a week from the trade deadline. Um, Red Sox have already, obviously already made one deal, uh, trading Brandon Workman and Heath Hembry to the Phillies for Nick Pavetta and Connor Siebold. Um, we're not going to talk too much about that today because, as Jake said, he just did another podcast uh, with Keaton and Ian Cundell of Sox Prospect. Uh, Sox prospects they talked about this trade in depth so go listen to that one if you're looking for any commentary on that deal um i will just give my quick two cents because my ego cannot handle saying literally <laughs> nothing about this so i have to say something uh but also i i honestly don't really have anything very interesting to say i will just say a couple things one um I think I missed Brandon Workman, just watching him pitch a little more than I would have expected. Um, I was late, I think, to the Brandon Workman appreciation bandwagon, but he became one of my favorite pitchers to watch. I just absolutely, I mean, I've talked about this a million times, I love the way his fastball played off his curveball and how he turned his fastball, which on its own in a vacuum is not all that impressive, especially for a modern late inning reliever. Uh, it was legitimately one of the elite fastballs in baseball last year, just because of the way it worked off his curveball. So um, I like pitch se- sequencing. I like looking at how pitchers approach that part of the game. And Workman was one of my favorites to watch in that respect. So um, we'll miss him. Hembry, oh, well, I guess <laughs> we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave that for another pod. Uh, but, and then as far as the actual trade goes, uh, I talked to the, about this on Twitter the night it happened. 
Um, I, I just, I really can't bring myself to have any sort of strong opinion on the return. Um, I certainly don't think they got fleeced. Um, I don't know what people were expecting for Workman, especially when he hasn't really had an opportunity to pitch this year because the Red Sox are terrible, and when he has pitched, he hasn't looked quite as dominant as last year. Um, but, I mean, Pavetta is a lottery ticket. I really don't have much confidence in finding anything with him, but I'm also willing to take that chance. Um, and then Seabold seems like an interesting guy, kind of a lower ceiling. Um, I think some of the hype shortly after the trade uh, was getting a little out of control, which is what happens anytime a guy gets traded that's not like an absolute top prospect. People have to like talk themselves into him, but he's fine. So I think people that were like really upset about it need to chill out, and I think people like calling for Bloom as like a genius for pulling this off also need to chill out. It was just it was a trade of two relievers from a seller to a buyer with two pretty okay pieces that you could squint and see something with that's just like the most boring deadline deal possible which is fine but that's just it's pretty much all i got like i said nothing really too interesting i don't know if you had anything you wanted to add or if you just wanted to move on um no i I don't really think so it's you know it is what it is i will just say that um Watching Brandon Workman's second save opportunity with the Phillies after he blew the first one um, was painful as hell. <laughs> so I turned it off in the middle of watching him spike like three or four different curveballs into the dirt, and he was pitching from behind to every batter he faced. So at that point, I was like pretty stoked about the return. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. I have, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched any of it. Um, I haven't really been watching a ton of baseball lately outside of the Red Sox because I'm super into the NBA playoffs, but uh, I have at least heard about the Workman experience. So um, I do kind of hope he turns it around, especially in Philly, because he might not make it out of there alive if he keeps pitching like this. So just for his own well-being, I would like him to pitch better. Uh, one fun fact for you, though, Matt, uh, we realized on the podcast yesterday, Ian pointed out that Pavetta was one of the pieces acquired for Jonathan Papelbon. I knew so that. it's kind of fitting that uh, this whole thing comes full circle. Yeah, that is uh, that is an interesting part of it. But uh, yeah, like I said, Pavetta, eh, take it or leave it. Talk to any Phillies yeah. fan about Pavetta if you're wondering how to feel because... They are about as frustrated with Pavetta. I don't even. I can't really think of a Red Sox comparison right now. Um, well, the the one everybody will throw out there is Clay Buckholtz, even though it's inaccurate uh, the way Buchholz people remember him. A million times better than what Pavetta's ever been. Yeah, but people, the way people talk about him, yeah, is that's like probably fair. Pavetta. Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, but like I said, we're not gonna hash out that trade too much uh listen to yesterday's episode with uh ian Cundell, um with jake and keaton and ian they talked a lot about that um but we're gonna move on uh they also talked about the players still with the red sox that could be dealt they kind of looked at the entire roster so today i figured jake and i could kind of look at the other side of the deadline um and try to find the team's who makes sense as partners with those players that could be traded. Um, this is obviously an unprecedented trade deadline. Um, nobody really knows what's going to happen. The Red Sox seem to be at a little bit of an advantage just because they're one of like the only real true sellers. Um, they are, if I'm doing my math correctly, I believe they are w- one of two teams that are at least uh, six games out of a playoff spot right now. The Angels are the only other ones. The Angels are a half game worse than the Red Sox right now. The Pirates have a worse winning percentage, but the National League is just really strange, and two playoff teams right now are under 500. Uh, but so most teams, I would say probably about 25 teams in the league could talk themselves into making a run. So that would seem to be an advantage. The flip side of that is some of the top-tier teams. I'm interested to see how aggressive they'll be in pushing in um i don't know if you have any thoughts about this i just like a team like the rays or the twins or the yankees are these teams really going to push all in for a season that a i mean whether we like it or not people aren't really looking at it as legitimate um and b 
you have that weird first round where you're just playing a best of three and do you really want to push all in for that i don't really love thinking about things that way but it just feels like it feels like a way teams are going to justify not being aggressive I think it will be easy for teams to be passive if they want to be passive, but teams that want to be aggressive I think will be helped along by trade partners like the Boston Red Sox who have come out and basically said that they are willing to uh, send money and eat money in order to make deals work. So I think that for a team in the financial position that the Red Sox now find themselves in, that's going to be a major advantage to get teams that may be a little bit more passive to look at a situation and be like, well, the Red Sox are just making this way too easy for us, so let's go ahead and do it and roll the dice. And I think that a lot of teams will find themselves in that position. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. And, I mean, everyone knows I've been – I've never been hesitant to criticize the Red Sox with financial decisions, but this is – I mean, this is exactly what they should be doing and good for them to do it. I mean, if you're a – big market team and you find yourselves in this position where you're selling um i mean part of the way you flex your financial muscle is eating those contracts and getting the best return so hopefully you're right um but so we are going to look at some teams that match up well with the red Sox. um like i said nobody really knows what's going to happen with this deadline i think we're kind of just treating it like a normal ish deadline just because what else are we going to do? I mean, we can't really predict something that we've never seen before. So uh, the way this is going to work is each of us are going to pick three teams, um, kind of look at why they are good fits, um, talk a little bit about how those trades could work. So, uh, Jake, I'll let you go first. Uh, one team that could be a partner for the Red Sox. All right. Um, this is the one that we've been talking about the most, and it's the most obvious one, so I'm going to plug it one more time, and that's the Cleveland Indians who – uh, are the best in the entire league at developing starting pitching. They've proven that over the last few years, and it doesn't seem even particularly close. Maybe you can make a case for the Dodgers, but they find themselves with the two starters, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak, in the doghouse, and then they have you know, all these other guys that are just ready to come up and, and claim spots in the rotation. Tristan McKenzie struck out 10 in his debut um, this past week. Um, Plutko's, you know, he's kind of an up and down guy, but the bottom line is that they can plug these holes internally and still entertain trading one of those two guys. And Matt, as you pointed out last time on this podcast, the rolling out in outfield of Domingo Santana, Tyler Naquin, and Delano DeShields that is among the worst in all of baseball. And I, I would bet that it's one of the worst outfields that we've actually seen in the last few years in terms of offensive production. Um, and, and one of the names that's immediately been linked is a name that we were talking about last week on this very show, Andrew Benintendi, who's a clear change of scenery guy. He's from the Cincinnati area. Makes a ton of sense for Cleveland if they think that um, you know he can turn it around and be the player that he has been for most of his career. Um, J.D. Martinez is also a fit for this particular market. Um, because, you know, he, he brings a huge bat. But um, one of the ideas that Ian floated out yesterday is a Benintendi and Kevin Pillar package. So, you know, maybe they don't take on as much financial responsibility as J.D. Martinez, but maybe that package alone gets you somebody like Clevenger, who doesn't have a lot of uh, team control left. So, you know, the, that package might, might be uh, interesting to those guys, two guys who can play the outfield and doesn't force you to actually move Fran Mil Reyes uh, from the DH spot for the Indians. So this seems to make so much sense. There's a bunch of variations of this that you could do with Pilar, without Pilar, with JD, without JD. But I think Benintendi is the guy who's pretty much the focal point in, in a starting pitcher coming back is, you know, the other side of the deal. And it makes so much sense for both teams. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, like you said, the most obvious connection. Um, I think Benintendi and Pilar seems super light for Clevenger, personally. Um, I just don't know how much value Benintendi has right now, and Pilar is nice, but I feel like you need to add something young in there. I, I have no idea what, but um, I mean, if they like like a Michael Chavis, maybe. Um, sure, or a yeah. Prospect. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of the outline of a deal that would make the most sense. Um, I also think, I mean, as 
I, I'm not really getting my hopes up for this kind of trade right now. I think it would be more likely in the offseason. Um, but I think even something involving just Kevin Pillar or Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, could work too. Obviously, you're not getting a Plesak or a Clevenger back there, but just some sort of lottery ticket, um, some sort of guy that you like. Um, I, I generally am getting the feeling... Just looking at this Red Sox roster, I don't. I feel like most of the, any trade that they're going to make is probably going to be something along those lines, where they're trading a Pilar or a Bradley or a Moreland. Um, I'm surprised there isn't more juice for potential JD Martinez trades, but it just doesn't seem like it. So, um, I am. I think this is the most interesting storyline in terms of potential partners that Benintendi for a Plesac or a Clevenger, whatever else you would have to add to it. Um, remains to be seen. I don't know how likely it is, um, but I definitely think, even if you don't want to go that far, I definitely think the Red Sox have that outfield surplus that they're, I mean, it seems crazy that they wouldn't trade at least one of Pilar or Bradley, and even if you're just looking at that, the Indians still make the most sense. Yeah, and Pilar is just so much more attractive than Jackie Bradley Jr. right now, considering the defense between the two players is relatively close. Pilar's actually hitting right now. Um, whereas I'm Jackie's not, not sure about he's, that. But he's making more than double what yeah. Pilar is making. Yeah, I'm not for a month. I don't know if that's a huge deal. If you think, I just I don't know. I'm having a very hard time judging players right now. It's been a month. Like I'm just trying to. I keep needing to remind myself that it's been a month, and so like I don't know if this was a normal season and Bradley and Pilar had these lines at the beginning of May, I don't know that I would be like, oh, Pilar's definitely better than Bradley. Well, one thing we know for sure is that Bradley is streakier than Pilar over the course of their careers. He's been way more up and down. But I I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s last three years, he's ended the year with an 89 WRC plus 90-90. So... He is a true talent, 90 WRC. Pilar's never reached 90, or at least not any time in the last, like, four or five years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think in a regular year, you're absolutely right. It's not really a big deal. They're pretty much, you know, the same. He was, like, 85, 89, 86. Yeah, yeah it wasn't a big difference. Uh, not a big difference at all, uh, and in terms of defensive value, they haven't had a ton of difference either. But I think the big consideration here is just the contract, $4.25 million. A lot less than 11. Obviously, you're paying a prorated version of that and then just a month's version of that and then whatever the Red Sox are willing to cover. Um, But I just think in a season this short, we've all been talking about this from a fantasy baseball perspective, like being able to cut ties with with guys who aren't performing because you only have this limited time. So if you see Jackie going bad right now, I think a team is more likely to take the guy who has his timing at the plate. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. I think the other part of it, um, and I don't know how much of a consideration this would be for the Indians specifically, but just general. Um, it could just come down to something as simple as handedness. Do you need a right here? Oh, lefty? sure. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I think Cleveland's outfield is bad enough that it, you really don't care about handedness. You just need people that can play baseball. But, yeah, I mean, I think with some of these other teams we might be talking about, um, handedness could be the one that comes into play. Also, Jackie and Pilar are both WRC Plus upgrades uh, with those marks that we just mentioned over any of their outfielders. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cleveland's outfield is absolutely (laughs) pathetic. They are like the Red Sox rotation of outfields. Yeah. This this trade just makes way too much sense. And, like, I I also think Clevelanders would really embrace the idea of Andrew Benintendi, too, because of where he's from. You know, he's not from too far away from there. And also, he has been a really good player over the last three years. And, like, like we've been talking about, you know, a, a couple weeks worth of a sample size where he looked cold as hell. Is that really going to color what you think of a young player who's 25 years old and was a former top overall prospect uh, in the game? I, I don't really think so. I think they'd be pretty stoked about that return. Yeah, yeah, I, I would certainly think so. And I don't know. Is I feel like does Cleveland and does Cleveland and Cincinnati like each other? I feel like they wouldn't. Maybe I don't know. Just like as cities, I feel like they would be rivals. Uh, probably there's some sub, sort of rivalry there, but like I just think in general, Benintendi is such a, a change of scenery yeah, guy. No, you know that it just makes too much sense. 
I would agree with that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that was, like I said, that was the obvious first choice, and I think that's the two teams that we're going to be looking at the most. Um, I'm going to go with the team that I just wrote about today for Tuesday. The more I think about it, the more I kind of like it. It is the team the Red Sox are playing right now in the Blue Jays. Um, I'm really curious how the Blue Jays kind of see themselves right now. They are in the playoffs as we speak. They held a half-game lead over the Orioles, as we all predicted, um, for that final wild-card spot. And then after that, things kind of drop off pretty quick. So Toronto's kind of in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, and... It might. It's a year earlier than I think a lot of people were expecting, but I think with this group, it would make sense to kind of go make a push right now and show them that you believe in them and try and get them as much playoff experience as possible. And so I don't think the Red Sox are going to do anything crazy here. I don't think like anything too wild is on the table with them, but I look at Toronto's rotation. Um, absolutely decimated by injury, and obviously this isn't the biggest strength of the Red Sox, but they do have Martin Perez, um, who has been strangely good this year. I know you have advocated for keeping him around. Um, I think that they should be looking to trade him. At the very least, they should be listening to conversations about him. Nathan Avaldi could work there too, but I don't know that the Blue Jays are looking for that long term of a piece. But I think Toronto is obviously looking for starting pitching help. So you start a conversation there. Um, you can throw in a guy like Matt Barnes. Uh, Toronto's bullpen hasn't been too bad, but Ken Giles is hurt. They have Jordan Romano, who's kind of stepped into the closer role lately. Uh, Rafael Deliz, Anthony Bass. They have some guys that are pitching well, but not really guys with that experience. Um, someone like Matt Barnes, he's not throwing well right now, but he's pitched well in playoff races. He pitched very well, underratedly well, in the 2018 run. Um, maybe adding that guy, um, maybe adding a Bradley or a Pilar as well. Um, starting outfield isn't really an issue for Toronto right now. They have Gritchick, they have Teoscar Hernandez, they have Lourdes Gurriel, who's got off to a slow start. I think he's playing a little bit better now. Um, but they have Derek Fisher on the IL, and after that, they don't really have much. I think this is where handedness comes into play. Um, Pilar would seem to make more sense for them at first blush just because he used to play there, but all of those four players I just mentioned, all four of their outfielders are righties, so adding a guy who can be a defensive replacement and can come in and hit from the left side I think would make sense. So I'm not expecting any sort of blockbuster with the Blue Jays, but between the rotation, the outfield, the bullpen, I think there's something here to make sort of a deal similar to the ones the one that the Red Sox just made with the Phillies. Yeah, I really like the idea of one of the starters heading there. And in particular, I really like the fit of Nate Eovaldi there long term. And I know you, you mentioned Martin Perez being maybe the more attractive guy because he's got the smaller contract. He's pitching a little bit better right now. But I actually think that if the Red Sox are really serious about eating some of that money, if they took on like half of the Perez or the... Uh, the Evaldi contract and traded him along with Pilar to that team, I think they could get themselves a pretty damn good return. And looking a little bit more long-term for them just past this year, the fact that he's got two years of control and that they've got a couple serviceable starters on the IL right now for Toronto and Shoemaker and Trent Thornton, like and the Nate ability Pearson. for... Yeah, Nate Pearson too. I'm a little bit scared about his elbow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is like, any of those guys can come in and plug into the rotation. And if you wanted to then switch Ivaldi to that multi-inning relief role that we have talked about uh, him being potentially a really good fit for long-term, you'd feel a lot better about doing that uh, if you know Boston is eating more than half of his money. Um, and their system is very underrated. Yeah, there are so many interesting players there. For sure. They definitely are. I mean, I'm far from a... Um, national prospect expert, but they definitely have some names that intrigue me. Um, even a guy like Sean Reed Foley, who is no longer a prospect, is a guy that I've always liked. Um, my issue with the Valdi plan that you just laid out is I don't know w would the Blue Jays be willing to give up that great of a piece if their plan eventually is just to make him a reliever? I'm not sure that they would. 
I think it all depends on like how they view that spot. You know, if if they view Eovaldi as having the potential to be one of the better multi-inning relievers in the game, um, and we have seen him perform like that at times, then I think they're okay with paying a guy. You know, I don't know what would that be like eight million bucks a year to to serve that role, especially when you're looking at a team up and down this lineup. Almost everybody in their lineup, aside from like Randall Grichuk, is a guy who's under uh, team control or Arbiers right now. So they're not paying I much should, money to this team. I should have been more clear. I meant p- paying in terms of prospects. Um, oh, oh, I don't think it would be that expensive. Yeah, really maybe don't. not. But I don't know. I guess I don't really want the Red Sox to trade Avaldi. I I think I view Avaldi like you view Perez. Um, mm. I still. I think Avaldi probably would be better as a reliever, but I still believe in him as a starter. Um, like his his numbers don't look good this year, but they're also it's I mean it's such a small sample, and again it's it's very hard to keep reminding myself of this. Uh, he's had one very bad start that skewed his numbers like tremendously. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean I'm fine. I'm I'm obviously not calling him untouchable i'm listening on avaldi but i don't really want to trade him unless i feel like somebody's overpaying for him and i don't know that toronto would overpay for him see i would love the red Sox to target somebody in their system who is kind of far away a starting pitcher blue jays have been really excellent at developing starting pitchers and a guy who i'm looking at is like 19 year old eric pardino who just had tommy john surgery um a piece that's like far away like that could be really attractive because as we've been talking about and we talked about yesterday on the podcast too, Red Sox, when they get guys into the system, pretty good about actually maximizing them, but don't always get the right guys in the system. So even if it was some low minors guys, I'd be be happy with that. Yeah, I'm curious how those trades are going to work too because what was particularly notable to me about the Workman deal is they got two guys that were on the 60-man player pool. Right, so, yeah, and Pardino is not, so that would yeah. be... Yeah, and they've, I mean, people have been talking about this. Teams are going to be wary about trading for those guys that aren't on the player pool because they're going to be thinking, well, what do they know? Because they mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to look at them in any form in over a year, or almost a year. Can I just point out what bullshit that is, that they're not letting scouts in any of these places? Like, it's definitely not for safety concerns. It's just because they're cheap. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, a lot of the teams are showing stuff on TV. So, I mean, it's obviously not the same, but at least it's something. But, like, yeah. for the low miners guys, you have no idea. They could be out there <laughs> no. eating, like, McDonald's every day, and, I mean, you just literally have no idea. Which would be their right, considering how much they're getting paid. Oh, man, listen. I'm never <laughs> judging anybody for eating fast food, trust me. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you, there's just no way to know what their conditioning looks like, what their training looks like, anything like that. I mean, there's no way to even know what Acuna's looked like. He came in with a paunch this year after making 100 mil, yeah, so it's you, you just, know. Uh, you don't know what these guys are doing, man. It's a very it's very difficult trade. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, whether it is Evaldi or Perez, um, I think the Red Sox need to be calling them about the rotation because it's very clear the Blue Jays are looking for starting pitching. Their rotation is just decimated. Just They got three injuries within, what, like a week? Five yeah. days? I mean, it's tough. Yeah, it's not good. They need some help. All right, my next one is the San Diego Padres, uh, the most exciting team in baseball right now. I think we would both agree on that probably. Um, I mean, they don't have Jonathan Arouse, but other than that, I guess... <laughs> yeah, they're they're close pretty good outside of that. Um, but yeah, they've been a team that has been looking to get rid of uh, the money that Will Myers is making for a year or, or a little, probably a little bit over a year now. Um, he's playing right field for that team. He's 29 years old. He's due a bunch of money in the future. Doesn't really seem to be part of their long-term plans there. Um, so he's a guy that before the season started that the Red Sox had been talking about acquiring, um, you know, for basically eating the money and getting prospects. He was a big now part this of the Mookie seems... trade rumors, too, when those were. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then as, as Matt pointed out before we got on this podcast, their DH, Josh Naylor, has actually not been playing very well. So that opens up a couple different interesting avenues for the Red Sox. Um 
And I, I actually think that this trade works really well in conjunction with the, the fictional one that we were making with the Indians, too, if they were to make a couple trades here. But the idea of the Red Sox taking on Will Myers, who has the flexibility to play the outfield, uh, also can play first base, is really interesting considering the fact that the Red Sox are likely to trade one of Pilar, JBJ, or, or JD Martinez uh, to another team. Um, and then potentially could trade Mitch Moreland as well. Um, so he seems like a logical piece to come back here. And their their system is stacked. Um, so, you know, the return could be Myers and some prospects coming back. They have been aggressive with adding a lot of their top prospects and some of their non-top prospects to that player pool. Um, but I think the pieces that they would be most attracted to uh, would be J.D. Martinez for that DH role, especially if the Red Sox were willing to pay some of his money. And I think replacing Will Myers with one of those two outfielders in, in JBJ or uh, Pilar would be really attractive to them too, because that's a really big outfield out there. Um, and, and one that I think they could benefit from a really good defender. Uh, Trent Grisham's their center fielder right now. He's awesome, but he could definitely switch to a corner if JBJ or Pilar ended up going there, or they could just play one of those guys in right too. They have the arm for it. Um, but I'm curious what you think of that, Matt, if uh, you know you could see them being a fit for one or more of those players. So the JD thing is extremely interesting to me. Um, I am planning on writing this for Wednesday morning, so maybe by the time you're listening to this, it will be up. Um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't know what I would do if I was an NL team like the Padres in a J.D. Martinez situation. Because you have no idea if you have the DH next year or not. And if you don't, then you're kind of screwed. Then you have to kind of either hope he opts out or turn around and trade him. But all of a sudden, you're, the pool of teams that you can trade him to is cut in half. Um, so, I mean, I definitely wouldn't just totally turn my back on the idea, but it's certainly something I would have to think about. Um, but, I mean, just for this year, obviously the fit is great. Um, the Will Myers thing, Mike Carlucci is obsessed with this idea. <laughs> He's been um, – he, he just wrote something about Will Myers. He's been talking – about this he's been noodling around with that idea since like january um (laughs) i don't like will myers he's having a very good year i'm not a big believer in will myers i would prefer not to have will myers um obviously if it's an avenue to get good prospects or good young players that i like it would be something that i'm open to um but i would prefer to make any deal with the padres that didn't involve Will Myers. Whether or not that's possible is a different discussion. But Yeah, I think it becomes particularly interesting if Will Myers comes equipped with a guy who you think can fit right into your starting rotation. So, for instance, Cal Quantrill is somebody who was super effective for the Padres as a starter this year. Um, he's controlled through 2025, and he's not even making the cut for their rotation at this point. Um, So if all of a sudden you're talking about a Will Myers plus a Cal Quantrill, you know, you're looking at that figure of 20 million bucks or whatever for Will Myers completely differently uh, considering the two-year commitment because it means you're going to have a, you know, fourth or fifth starter. Or or in the case of the Red Sox, Cal Quantrill will probably be like their number one or two. Hashtag he's the ace. Uh, Locked in through 2025, so uh, that becomes super interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's 
that's sort of what I meant with like I mean I could live with it and like I was saying earlier with the uh eating the money, I mean this is part of what you do when you're a big market team. You might take on a guy that you don't necessarily want, um in order to get that better talent. I do like Quantrill. Uh, we had a listener question uh talking about a potential trade for Lucchesi. Um or Lucchesi, I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Lucchesi. That guy's brutal to watch, by the way. Is he? I don't know that I've ever oh. maybe I've never seen him pitch. But he's like a kitchen sink guy, but none of the offerings actually work. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's a guy that people have always liked. He's never really put it together. That wouldn't be. I don't. You wouldn't do that with Will Myers. I think that would be the kind of guy that you get if you're not taking Will Myers uh, yeah. back. Um, but I mean, the Padre system is obviously loaded. So um, whether or not it involves Will Myers, or even if it involves whether or not it involves JD Martinez. Um, I think there's just a lot of fits here, even if you're looking at a Pilar or Bradley. Um, I think you could look to their bullpen. Um, their bullpen lost Kirby Yates. Uh, maybe you throw in a Matt Barnes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think J.D. Martinez is the most obvious thing. It's just I have no idea how you view him if you're an NL team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um I, I do think that, uh, just to get back to Will Myers for a minute, since he's been with the Padres from 2015, he's had a 109 WRC plus and hit 102 home runs with that team, stealing 83 bases. So while like we're looking at him kind of as dead weight, he actually has had some pretty good offensive seasons. It's actually been defensively where he's had uh, some some significant negative value. So if you think you can cover him up somewhere – Maybe that is first base at Fenway for two years until um, until Casas comes up. Like, you know, that could be a viable solution. Yeah, I mean, you could live with it, but before the season, last three years, WRC plus 107, 107, 96. I'm not really thrilled about that production at first base or DH or wherever it would be. Yeah, if it's coming with 30 dongs, though, that's not too bad. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, he did that in 2017. Last year he had 18 when they were using a golf ball as a baseball, which is not <laughs> super encouraging. Well, this year he looks way Power better. Power is there so. this year. I will give him that. It's really just, yeah. I don't know. I've never really been a big Will Myers guy, so I think that kind of clouds my judgment. I'm very hesitant to come around, even borderline stubborn about it. Uh, well, you know what, though? One of the things that does play into the Red Sox favor here is just their history working with position players in general. You know, we talk about their ability to identify uh, hitters all the time, so maybe they see something with Will Myers that they can unlock, or maybe he's a good fit for Fenway. I don't know. I haven't I haven't done enough research into what his problems are yet, but, you know, I know there are, there are many. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would, I would say I'm probably among the more pessimistic about Myers, so if you are excited about Myers, don't let me bring you down. No, no, I'm not Carlucci levels of. I was talking. I was talking to listeners. I don't really care if I bring oh. it down. Or not. That's not. That's not a concern of mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Glad we uh, covered. Yeah, that. I mean, I thought that was assumed, but I guess I yeah, had to throw no, it. Yeah, no, it was. I don't have feelings. <laughs> that's good. Um, so I'm gonna go with my next one. I'm gonna go with one of those elite teams I was talking about that I don't know they would be uh, particularly interested in making a trade but uh if they are the minnesota twins seem like another fit with one of those depth deals um they're obviously not trading for jd martinez they have nelson cruz um you cannot have a roster with both of those guys on it that just would not work for anybody um but they could use some depth in the outfield um Byron Buxton is on the IL. I love Byron Buxton, but he is always hurt. And so that leaves them with Jake Cave. Um, I'm not a big Jake Cave guy. So, I mean, I think you look at a Kevin Pilar there, um, maybe platoon with Jake Cave. When Buxton is healthy, you now have Pilar on your bench as a guy who can come in. Uh, pinch run, come in for defense if you need him to. Gives you a right-handed bat off the bench, which is something that they don't have. Their entire bench right now is either left-handed or switch hitter. Um, I think you look at, again, their bullpen. Um, this is something that I wrote about the other day. Twins have a very good bullpen. 
especially in the back, but it's all right-handed. I'm surprised we haven't heard anything about Josh Taylor. Um, I love Josh Taylor. I certainly am not running through the door to trade him. I'm not driving him to the airport, but he is on the older side, has a ton of control left, has pitched very well. The Twins could use another left-handed reliever to go with Taylor Rogers for the postseason. I'm at least dangling that and seeing what the interest would be in him. I don't know. Maybe there's nothing, and if you're not getting anything super significant back, I definitely, like I said, I'm not super eager to do it, but I I think you have to look at it. I think when you're a rebuilding team, that's kind of the moves that hurt that you have to look at. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go one step further than that, Matt. I agree with you 100% on both of those players as being a fit, but I also think they're a fit for Mitch Moreland, too. Um, a left-handed uh, first-base defensive replacement option for Miguel Sano, who's right-handed and playing there uh, almost full-time now. I, I think that that could be a great fit, too, um, for that clubhouse. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're trading Taylor, who has a ton of control left, as you mentioned, you're looking at a substantial return um, for for those players. I, I mean, we see what relievers go for at the deadline all the time one of Taylor's quality plus a couple of really important positional bench bats like that could be a really attractive package for, for Bloom. Yeah, and I think the Twins are a team that might want to push in a little bit more than some of the other top-tier teams. They're not particularly super old. I mean, they have a lot of... Most of their core is in their prime right now, um, 27, 28, 29. Uh, but Nelson Cruz is 40. And he is, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like he is the Twins. Um, so I feel like you kind of want to push in with him. They also haven't been to a World Series since 1991. So I just feel like those are the kind of teams that might push in a little bit more. And like you said, I mean, they're in a vacuum, those guys, they're not trading any stars. But you can get something decent if you package those guys together with a team that is sort of seems desperate to get over the hump, especially after getting just pummeled by the Yankees like three years in a row or however many it's been. Yeah, I mean, it just makes so much more sense because Mitch Moreland's more important to them than he would be to another team. Pilar's more important to them. Taylor's more important to them. You're absolutely right. They're that team looking to get over the hump. Kenta Maeda, he's already 32. Rich Hill's 40. I mean, they have a bunch of guys who are older. Dobnak's having a season for the ages. They kind of want to capture this, I'd, I'd guess, uh, even Sergio Romo, man, 37 years old, having one of the best seasons he's ever had uh, this year, pitching in the eighth inning and sometimes closing games for them. They're kind of they kind of have it all going on. They're super fun. Yeah, I just I just want to point out that I was very into the Red Sox tra- signing Sergio Romo over the winter. So Me take too, a little man. bit of a victory lap there. But have you seen his gnarly beard? I love Sergio Romo. Things awesome. Yeah. He's a great interview, too. If, if you ever get a chance, and this is to the listeners, uh, go on um, MLB Pipeline Podcast has had Sergio Romo on a bunch because I don't know why. I guess apparently he just loves coming on doing interviews, but he's like the most grateful human being in the world. He's, yeah, he's um, well known for being like a tremendous clubhouse guy. He was when the Rays first introduced the opener. Um, he was the guy that kind of got all of the other relievers to buy into it. He was the first one they used, and he was like, I'm a veteran, I've won World Series, I've been closers for great teams. If I'm willing to do this, you guys should too, and that's sort of the reason why it was able to work. Um, so, I mean, he's on top of his talent on the mound, he's just a great guy to have in the clubhouse too. Yeah, and a, a 73% slider usage guy. So, super fun to watch. Sergio Romo podcast brought to you by yeah. Sergio Romo. <laughs> All right, your last All team? Right. Uh, my last team is a weird one. And when I mentioned it to you, you were like, oh, okay. Um, so, what do you give to the team that has everything? And that's the Dodgers, who now even have Mookie Betts. They're 22 and 8. Yeah, um, man. Um, yeah, but so let's not stop the giving here. Um, let's give them more important players for the Red Sox. Um, but really, the the fit here is 
looking to a smaller trade. Um, the Dodgers were actually a little bit worried in the offseason that their bullpen um, didn't have quite enough weapons. And that's interesting because their bullpen has actually overperformed this year and been really good. However, I still do think that a player like um, Matt Barnes could be attractive to them. Matt Barnes has struck out over 100 guys uh, last year, 96 the year before. He's a really good reliever when he's on. Um, get him in the lab in L.A. I think he'd be a good fit for them. So reliever-wise, he's interesting. But the guy who I think fits the most with their team is uh, Mitch Moreland, who um, can come in and, and play first base for them. Um, Max Muncy has been playing first base as well as second. He usually does that as well. But he's having a really underwhelming season for him uh, this year. Uh, he's batting 192 on the year. Um, very uncharacteristic. Matt Beatty is the other guy who has been playing some first base as well. Um, he's batting 250, but Mitch Moreland is outperforming both of them, is a better defender at first uh, than both of them. So he's a really interesting piece to a club that already has a ton of veterans um, in, you know, um, guys like. Um, Justin Turner, who's already been there, and I guess some of the young guys even you could consider veterans at this point, but A.J. Pollock's 32. Um, I, I think he would add a nice mix to a team that's looking to obviously win the World Series. I think it'd be a disappointment this year if they didn't, so I, I think that he can be their Doug Mankiewicz, and we've mentioned how it's unlikely that he gets traded on his own, but you know, the clubs have shown a willingness to work together before uh, Andrew Friedman's the, the old boss of Heim Bloom, so it just makes a lot of sense to me as a landing destination, and you wouldn't feel bad about trading Mitch Moreland if you're trading him to the best team in baseball. No, I think you would feel bad um, for the rest of baseball for helping the Dodgers who don't need any help. Um, I don't think you would make any friends like that. Obviously, that's not something you're actually concerned about. But, yeah, I mean, I think it does... I told you before the show, I hadn't really thought about the Dodgers, but it does make sense. I mean, you talk about a team that's desperate. It doesn't get any more desperate than the Dodgers right now. I mean, they've come yeah. so close every single year, and they keep falling just short. Um, one of these years, they got to make it over the hump. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is the perfect team for the Red Sox, who mostly are dangling depth. You look at these top-tier teams, you look at the best team in baseball who's absolutely desperate and can just use a little help around the edges, That it does sort of seem like a match made in heaven. You're obviously not getting anything huge back, but you can try and find a diamond in the rough somewhere in that system. Yeah, and you look at um, the way that Dodgers, and I talk about it all the time, how they've developed and identified talent um, you know, in terms of pitching talent and even if you get a couple no-name, low-miners arms from them, I'm sure Bloom and his department know all about these types of guys. And, you know, they're risks worth taking because they're coming from the Dodgers who do a tremendous job identifying these guys. So it makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. Um, so my last team is another ALEs team. It is Bloom's old team. The Rays. Uh, Red Sox and Rays don't really deal a lot. But we were talking before about how difficult it is for teams to trade for players not in the other team's player pool because it's so hard to keep track of them. I think if the Red Sox were comfortable trading for any team's prospects that they haven't been able to see, it would probably be the Rays. Obviously, Heim Bloom is extremely <laughs> familiar with all of these guys. So I think that would certainly make... A deal easier and open up uh, the pool of players from which you're dealing for um, and even if you're not the Rays have a million of their prospects on the player pool um, obviously they're not trading Wander Franco but they have guys like their number one Wander Franco all the way down to like the lower parts of their system they're an extremely deep farm system and uh, they are like the Blue Jays absolutely decimated by injury I mean, their entire pitching staff is just going down one by one. Um, looking at their injured list for their bullpen, they have one, two, three, four, five, six guys on the injured list, all of whom are extremely important to their bullpen. Um, that would make Matt Barnes an obvious t uh, an obvious target there. Um, did you know that Jalen Beeks got a save last week? 
Jalen Beeks is getting okay. saves. They have five players listed as their closer, and I will point out that one of the five players, uh, one of the players that's not one of the five players listed as their closer right now on roster resource, also got a save last week. Yeah, so, it's a it's a committee. Yeah, so they could definitely use a guy like a Matt Barnes if they believe in the talent. Which I think I don't know. I feel like teams mostly still believe in the Matt Barnes talent. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid. Um, but Rays could also use some starting pitching help. Um, Charlie Morton's on the IL. Brendan McKay, I believe, is not going to pitch again this year. Um, no, he's got a shoulder. Yeah, uh, Yanni Chirinos, I believe, is also up for the year. TJ. I don't know what the timetable is on Charlie Morton, but it doesn't. I mean, it's a shoulder issue. That doesn't look great. So that could be another team you look at. Um, maybe Nathan Avaldi. Obviously, they know Avaldi. They were the ones who kind of brought him back into the limelight in 2018. Obviously, you would have to eat some money. The Rays aren't taking on that contract because they're the Rays, but um, be something to consider. Martin Perez would be another guy that I think would fit. He just seems like a guy that would go to the Rays and strike out 10 per 9 and turn into an <laughs> ace and really bug me. So, I mean, I think... I don't know so much about the position players just because the Rays... The puzzle that is the Rays lineup, I won't even try to decipher and see how any other players could fit because I just my mind doesn't work on that wavelength but even just looking at the pitching side I think there's a deal to be had and like I said the familiarity with the farm system I think is a huge boost this season what about the idea of um Christian Vasquez that was the other name I was gonna bring up I really don't like the idea of uh trading Christian Vasquez Mike Walsh wrote about it this morning that he is in favor of it I hate it um but yeah he would be a fit with the Rays for sure that it's the one position where they just don't have any semblance of production yeah that could that could end up being really interesting I agree with you like on the position player side you just don't mess with this Rubik's Cube of whatever the hell they have going on over there but yeah I could see like an Eovaldi uh Christian Vasquez thing being super attractive to them I, Even more so than Barnes, I honestly. despise the idea of watching Christian Vasquez in a raise uniform. Um, that just makes me sick to my stomach. I don't think I can, yeah. I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> I, I, I hate the raise. I think most people know that. Yeah, you, uh, you and some others who have worked at this site uh, hate the raise more than uh, anybody I've ever met. Yeah, they are my second least favorite team in sports behind the Sixers. Hmm. Wow. Yes. Hmm. I w- I don't have them nearly that high, but you know I respect the hatred. Uh, I just it was those stupid Joe Madden teams, man. They were so yeah. annoying, and I will never forgive them. <laughs> I'm surprised you embraced David Price then. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it's funny how fandom works. You can yeah. make things. You can forgive things pretty easily once they put on your favorite team's uniform just not carl crawford no i was ready to he just didn't let me um all right so i know i told you we were going to talk about something else but i'm we're going a little long so i'm going to move on to the listener questions here before we get out of here um and we have the classic questioner jackson posey starting us off with one of his weird ones um throwing it to the wizard of oz um if you have a dorothy-esque experience in the red sox locker room who would fill the roles of toto tin man lion scarecrow and wizard all right um all right so i'll just jump in here i won't give this any thought really um that's perfect. I'm just gonna go from the cuff um toto would be uh I'm confused i don't i don't really like the wizard of us what is toto i know toto's the dog but like toto's the dog yeah um, i don't know if toto associated? has any personality traits so i'm gonna go with someone with no personality toto is jose peraza um okay. i can see that the uh, Tin Man uh, is uh, Chavis. Um, the Scared Lion guy um, is... Um, Chavis see. for the Tin Man? Chavis is a Tin Man. For tin me. Man needs a heart, right? 
Yeah. Mm, I don't think that's a good fit with Chavis. Maybe Chavis is the line. Yeah, that's what I was because he's those okay. high fastballs. So who needs the heart? Yeah, that's what I was. Who, who's who's like kind of. Uh, mm, I don't know about Oh, Benintendi. Benintendi Benny needs the heart. That. Yeah, that works. Yeah, Benny needs the heart. Um, brain. What's the last one? Brain. brain. Yeah, Scarecrow needs the brain, right? That just seems... I, yeah. I don't want to touch that one. That just seems mean. I mean, Zach Godley looks like he could use a brain. I'm, I'm not going to corroborate that. <laughs> and the wizard is obviously um, Jackie Bradley Jr. Because he's a wizard okay. in the outfield. All right. Done. We passed. I I don't think I've seen The Wizard of Oz since I was like six. Gives me memories, big memories of my grandparents' house. I mostly just think of a Christmas story, the scene in the mall with all the Wizard of Oz characters. I'm probably the only one that would think of that. Uh, Stephen Brown asks about something we already talked about. Uh, So he he asked about the Padres and Red Sox possibly matching up. We don't have to get into that uh, because you already heard all that. Uh, Lori Evans asks, when will the Red Sox do the right thing and bring Brock Holt back? Uh, Brock Holt was DFA'd by the Brewers over the weekend. Uh, maybe after the trade deadline. If he's still floating out there and they're looking for places to fill with bodies, they do it. I would love that. I don't see it, though. I just don't think there's a fit. They just, I mean, they're they're teaming with those kind of players already. That's like the one between Peraza, Lynn, Arouse. I'm not convinced CJ Chatham still exists, but theoretically he still exists. Um, so I think that would be a great uh, sort of extending goodwill to the fan base, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Robbie Hyde says, if you could have the Red Sox do just one trade, what would you do? It'd be the one with the Indians for Clevenger. Um, I think he makes the most sense for this team and, I think uh, Benny getting the change of scenery makes a lot of sense, too, so that would definitely be the one I'd go for. Yeah, I think that's probably the right answer. I just I don't have any good logic to throw behind it, but I feel like they would end up regretting that for some reason. I just get mm. that feeling. But again, that's just totally gut. Uh, the Big Man asks, will Heim Bloom trade for Don Arcillo? Man, I wish. That'd be sweet. Yeah, I don't think that's how it works, though. Um, I forgot to write down who this is from, so sorry, I don't know who this is from, but they ask, uh, don't you think Bloom should aim big? Uh, maybe you go get Clevenger and Plesak for Verdugo and Perez Plus, then you have Sale, Erod, Clevenger, Plesak, Evaldi in the rotation. I'm guessing you don't like that idea. No, you don't trade Verdugo. You just got Verdugo, and he's been producing like a top player in baseball. I mean, he would be an all-star this year if we were doing all-stars, and we kind of talked about that on the podcast yesterday. I don't think they're interested in trading both of those arms. Maybe they are, but like you just, you have other things that you can trade other than Verdugo. He's clearly part of the solution. Yeah, I'm with you. And that was from uh, Andrew Amir. Oh, nice. Yeah, not. he's a regular listener, so shouts to yeah, him. I didn't want to not say that name, but I think I think I agree. Um, and I also i I would be very surprised if Cleveland traded both of those guys. It feels like it's a one or the other type deal. Yeah, totally. All right, so that is going to do it for this one. Um, like I said, maybe it's episode six, maybe it was episode five. Who knows? Uh, but if you liked what you heard do the rating, the reviewing, only give five stars. If you are going to give less than five stars, please keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Jake is at DevJake. Uh, we are covering the trade deadline in earnest at the site, writing-wise, all week. Um, obviously covering the games that are still happening as well. Uh, so be sure to keep up with everything we're writing over there. Uh, did I forget anything this time? I don't think so. I think you nailed Getting it, man. better. All right. So thank you for listening, and we will be back with you next week.